If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up to Isaiah chapter 9. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Uh, we're, we're stopping where we're at in the book of Acts, and we're going into the Christmas season. And I'm going to spend the next four weeks, and series I've simply entitled it is, What Child Is This? Now, we probably all know that hymn, What Child Is This? And we're actually going to take it from a passage in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and we're going to spend four weeks just talking about this child, but in particular talking about the names of this child. And this morning's message is simply entitled, Wonderful Counselor. And we're going to talk about what that means for us as Christians. But I need you to understand the depths of what Isaiah was preaching at this time. There were a lot of difficulties going on in Isaiah's day as he began to transcribe this message that God was giving to him. And one of the biggest problems that they had was a spiritual decay that was going on during the time of Isaiah. There was a spiritual decay. In other words, people uh, seemed to kind of walk away from God. They kind of just did their, their own thing. And we kind of see that in America today, don't we? We, we kind of see that, to be honest with you, there, there seems to be a lack of hope in the world today. People don't realize that there's still hope, that there's still uh, a great idea of transformation that can occur, that there is still a possibility of restitution and things getting back on track. But a lot of us seem to have lost hope. And that was what was going on in Isaiah's time as there was this spiritual decay that was going on. And there was also a, a desire of pragmatism. In other words, it was do what you want, when you want, how you want. It's not going to affect anybody or anything. We live in that society as well today where everybody is told that you should do what makes you happy. I mean, I've even heard Christians make that statement to me. They said, well, God wants me to be happy. Please show me the scripture. What the Bible does tell me in John 10, 10, is that God has come to give you a life more abundant. And there's a difference in the abundance joy that comes from God than in your happiness. Your happiness is not what God pursues. God's glory is what he pursues. And so when we get this mindset that God wants me to be happy and I can do whatever I want to do, even breaking God's law, we've lost sight of what the scriptures are teaching us at all. And that brings about no hope. And that was what was going on in Isaiah's time. And that's what's going on today in our own time. And also during Isaiah's time, they were pursuing everybody and everything but God. And we see that going on today. I've been reading this book and it just blows me away. And I brought this statistic up in our Sunday school class this morning. But it's the idea that for the first time since they've been taking these statistics, that in America, it is less than 50% of people are attending churches, cathedrals, synagogues, and mosques. For the first time in American history, more than half of our population in America are not attending some religious service. There is a spiritual decay that is happening today. There is a major problem in the world today. And what, what worries me, what causes me to have great fear, is that if we're not careful in America, what happened in Europe is going to happen here. And I don't want to see that happen. We have got to get back on the cusp of understanding that there is still hope today. And that hope is found in a child that was born in a manger on that Christmas day. So look what will be in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Let's read it together. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Well, this morning we're going to focus in on that Wonderful Counselor. 
So let's take a look at it today. First, let's begin with the word wonderful. The word wonderful comes from the Hebrew word pala, which simply means incomprehensible and miraculous. God is incomprehensible and miraculous and wonderful. In fact, the very first time this word is used is in Genesis 18 and verse 14, after God has made a promise to Abraham that he and Sarah are going to have a child, and he says, is anything too hard or impossible for the Lord? And that's that word, Paula, that's used there. In other words, it may seem miraculous to you, but our God can do the impossible. Our God can do above and beyond what we think or ask. Our God is wonderful. In fact, the Bible tells us in several instances how wonderful our God is. In Judges chapter 13 and verse 18, we find that his name is wonderful. It says, And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? This is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus coming down and telling Manoah and his wife that they're going to have a child. Now, in biblical times, they tried to find out the name of an angel or a deity because they felt that that gave them power over that deity. And Jesus simply said this, you don't need to know my name. Just sing, my name is wonderful. God's name is wonderful. You think about the name of Jesus and why that would be wonderful. It means coming to save mankind. Jesus came to save mankind, every last person in the world. Jesus came to save them from their sins. His name is wonderful. Not only is Jesus' name wonderful, but his works are also wonderful. In the book of Psalm, chapter 40 and verse 5, it says it this way. Many, O Lord, my God, are your work, wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God's works are numerous. They're innumerable. They're incomprehensible. Now, I started thinking about this when I was a kid, how many of you grew up with pets? Anybody grew up with pets? Yep, I had cats, dogs, rabbits, uh, not all at the same time. Uh, but we had a lot of different pets, and my dad would get us these pets, and we'd take care of them. But to be honest with you, we didn't really take care of them. You know, I just, I petted the cat, my dad fed the cat. I, I took the dog out to use the bathroom, but my dog, uh, my dad made sure he was fed. And all of those things, and it's funny, I, I thought about as a kid, how it used to get so frustrating to me as a kid trying to take care of a pet when I really didn't take care of the pet. Then as you get as an adult, and then you have kids. They're a lot harder to train than than dogs, right? And you have kids and you realize you've got this responsibility of watching over these kids. And I've got two. And trust me, two is more than enough for me. All right? If you can handle more than two, praise the Lord. But you got kids and you got to take care of them. You got to provide for them. You got to watch over them. You got to do all this stuff for them. And I think to myself, man, it, it takes a lot of work as an adult to handle and take care of kids. Now imagine this, God who takes care of not only his children, but he takes care of the billions of people he has created, and he provides for them every single day what they need for life, from breath to food to work to energy to the ability to think, the ability to move. God gives them all of these gifts. God's works are incomprehensible and innumerable compared to anything we do. That's miraculous. My God's work is wonderful. Not only is his name wonderful and his acts are wonderful, his counsel is wonderful. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 29, it says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Isn't it awesome that our God is wonderful in counsel? How many of you have ever been to a counselor? Anybody ever been to a counselor? Some of you are like, I'm not admitting that in church. 
It is okay to admit you've been to a counselor. We all need to talk to somebody every now and then. But you think about this. We go to those because we need somebody to listen to our problems and understand what we're going through and then give us advice on how to get back on the right track. We have the most amazing counselor. We have the one who knows all things. In fact, Isaiah 55 tells us his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to counsel. He knows how to direct. He knows how to lead if we will trust in him. The wonderful counsel of God is that he'll never lead you astray. And the amazing thing, Romans 11 tells us that his ways are beyond our searching out. In other words, nobody's ever counseled God. Nobody has to give him knowledge because he has all knowledge. God knows everything. He's wonderful. Man, when I think about the fact that he is wonderful, it just it amazes me when I think about the story of Jesus Christ. You realize that the virgin birth is wonderful. Now, there's some people out there that say, you know what, brother? You know, I could believe in, in everything that God says, but that virgin birth, it gets me every time. I just I cannot comprehend how God could do something like that. Well, let me, let me just go ahead and break it down and explain it and make it easy for you. My God can do the impossible. And my God can do what he wants to do, even usurping the power of science and nature. Because he created nature. And when he goes against nature, it really isn't going against his nature. It may be going against what we think is nature. But my God can do what my God wants to do. And so when my God decided on the virgin birth, and I have no problem with it whatsoever. Because a lot of people say, well, we know what it takes. Well, here's the thing. It did take a daddy. God was the one that implanted his seed in the woman so that he would not come out with a sin nature. So that he would not have the propensity to sin. So that he would come out perfect and sin so that he could go to the cross and pay for the sins of all mankind while he himself was sinless. So I have no problem believing in the miraculous virgin birth. As Christians, we have to believe it. It's what something that's so spectacular that makes the Christmas story so amazing. But I'm going to tell you what is miraculous to me more than the virgin birth is the fact that God loves me. That's what's too wonderful for me to comprehend and understand. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of God to love me or care for me. That to me is what is wonderful is that God, because knowing my sinfulness and your sinfulness, and in spite of that, he still sent his son to come down here to bear the sins of the world so that we might have a relationship with him. That is wonderful. But not only is the virgin birth wonderful, his healing powers were wonderful. He healed many people. The the blind could see and the lame could walk and the deaf could hear. And these wonderful works were being done over and over again. His teaching was wonderful because he taught as though he had never been, he had had not teach like the traditional teachers, the book tells us. And not only that, not only did his teaching amaze them, but his perfect life where he was without sin. But what's really amazing is going to the cross, dying on the cross for our sins and rising up from the dead that's wonderful you know when I come to Christmas time and a lot of people they they don't like to do a lot of decorations and things but I don't have any problem with Christmas trees a lot of people don't realize I don't have a problem with Christmas trees you know why I love Christmas trees because to me the Christmas tree is a reminder of the cross you say oh well, we decorate it with all these different things yes but the greatest tree that was ever decorated was decorated with my savior 
as he hung there on the cross for my sins. So when I look at a tree, that's what I think of at Christmas time. Is I think about, yes, the babe that was born in a manger, but he was sent to the tree. His whole purpose, the whole plan for why he came, the whole reason for the virgin birth, the miraculous birth, was to send him to the cross to bear our sins, and that three days later he would rise again. That is wonderful. You see, we're talking about this wonderful God. But not only is he wonderful, but he's also a counselor. The word counselor comes from the Hebrew word yovetz, which means a wise king. And that's honest, when we look at Scripture, the wisest king that we know of in Scripture, of course, is Solomon. He was known for his wisdom. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, it says, And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was the wisest king. In fact, he was so wise, it began... When he brought these two mothers came to him in scripture and they came to him and that what had happened was these two mothers lived together. One of them actually rolled over on their child and killed the child. So in the middle of the night, she took her dead child. She went over to the other mother that lived in the house, replaced children with her, taking the live child to herself and giving the other mother the dead child. And then they wake up in the morning and the mother rolls over and sees her dead child goes, wait a minute, this is not my child. Well, here's the problem. The only two that knew the kids were the two moms. So they bring the children and they bring the mothers to Solomon. As they stand there before Solomon, they plead their case. This mother says it's her child. This mother says it's her child. And Solomon says, here's what I'm going to do. He said, bring the baby in here. He says, I'm going to cut the baby in half and I'm going to give half to you and half to her. Now the mother whose child it really was said, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You can give the child to her. But the mother whose child it was not said, yeah, do that. Go ahead, cut that baby in half. And Solomon goes, nope, there's the mother. Because a mother would rather sacrifice and give up her child to live than to let that child die. He knew who the true mother was. His wisdom began to spread all over the world. In fact, it spread in such a way that in 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba sends a guard down there and she herself comes down and she visits Solomon. She wants to find out and she says this, your wisdom is far greater. It surpasses everything I've been told. But you may say, well, so what? That's Solomon. Well, I want you to hear Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 12, and it'll better help you understand just how wise our counselor is. Matthew 12, 42, he said, The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon may be a wise king, but we have the wisest king. We have the wisest counselor. We have the one who can give us wisdom and direction for everything that we're going through. You say, well, how so? Well, I can tell you a couple things. Number one, he knows mankind. He knows them better than we know ourselves. In John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in the man. Isn't it amazing? God knows your heart. God knows what you're thinking. In fact, many a times as they gathered around Jesus and they wanted to hear from him and they wanted to see some miracle, it said that Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew when they were testing him. He had such knowledge. He knew mankind. I'm going to tell you, we deal with some tough people at Christmas, don't we? Unless you say, well, brother, that's why I do all my shopping online now. That might be the smart thing to do. But you deal with tough people at Christmas time. I'm telling you, people are meaner at Christmas than any other time. I remember growing up, 
when the popular thing, and not that I asked for one, so don't y'all dare go out here and say Brother John asked for one of these. But when I was a kid, it was Cabbage Patch Kids, right? Yeah. Y'all go out and say, I asked for one of those. Y'all in trouble. They went out there, and they, all these parents, I remember hearing about it, that they would be fighting. There would literally be parents in the store punching each other and knocking each other over and tearing up the cases of these dolls because they were wrestling for them, trying to get their kid this gift. Let me explain something to you. We have lost sight of what Christmas is about when you think it's because you got to get the right gift for your child. When the right gift has already been given, the perfect gift has already been put on display. It's already right there. Your child needs to see Jesus in you more than gifts under the tree. They need to see it lived in you more than you can imagine. Mankind is going crazy, and they need to see that there's still hope in your home. He's the wonderful counselor because he knows all mankind. He also has all wisdom. In the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, or Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He knows everything. You know, when you pray to God and you seek his face and you ask him, he knows your motives behind it. He knows what's going on. He knows how to direct your path. He knows what you need. He knows what needs to be done in your life. It always blows me away when people make the statement, they try to tell God what they want from him. I have learned a long time ago, when it comes to prayer, I don't want my will to be done. I don't want God to change his will to fit my will because that's not going to work. I want my will to be changed to his will. I want his perfect counsel to come through. I want him to tell me when I'm wrong. I want him to change me, not think I can change the one who's perfect. Not think I can change the one who has the great counsel. And here's the thing. He understands everything that we're going through. In Hebrews 4 Chapter, verses 15 and 16, it tells us that he was tempted in all points. He, he knows what we're going through. You see, that's the thing. We have a high priest who understands. We have a high priest that knows what we're going through. We have a high priest that was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Never failed. We have the greatest counselor of all time. The truth is, is when you're going through a difficult time, the one to turn to is Jesus. The one who can give you the counsel you need is Jesus. The one who can deliver you through your circumstances are Jesus. Some of you guys are getting ready to probably go through the toughest Christmas you've ever had. Some of you are going to experience Christmas without a loved one for the first time this year. Some of you are going to go through a Christmas and you're not certain if you're even going to be able to afford gifts for your children some of you are going to go through Christmas and you're going to sit back and wonder if there's any hope because somebody was diagnosed with the disease in your family and you don't know how long you're going to have them with you. You see, we go through all of these circumstances, but here's the thing. We serve a God who knows everything you're going through. We serve a God who is wonderful, miraculous, amazing, and can go through any circumstance to help you at your point of need. You see, that's the counselor we serve. And he knows what he's doing. Now let's put it together. He is the wonderful counselor. What does that mean? Well, it means that God can give us the right direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Most people know this. It says, What? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. 
and he'll direct your paths. You know what it's like to lean on your own understanding? It's to lean on your own knowledge, your own wisdom, your own guidance. And to be honest with you, we can take ourselves down the wrong path. But to trust in the Lord means you put it all on God. You trust God that whatever your circumstances are, he's got this. He's in control. It's funny, while we were in Turkey just a couple of weeks ago, they took us to this place called the Grand Bazaar. Uh, you're talking about a shopping mall, basically. And I mean, when I say a shopping mall, I'm talking it was massive. It was like a couple of city blocks. It was just huge. And I went in there with Mike Shelby, of all people. So y'all know we're in trouble. It's the blind leading the blind there. So we go into the Grand Bazaar, and we're shopping, and we go around, and we're supposed to meet back at a particular point at 430 and as we're going through this Grand Bazaar, it, it gets to 4 o'clock, and I look at Mike, and I go, uh, Mike, I think we better be making our way back. We got, we got 30 minutes, and they already said, if we're not back, they will leave us, and we'll take a taxi back. So let's go ahead, and let's make our way back. So we start walking. We think we're going in the right direction. We're supposed to meet at gate 1. By the time we get to the end of where we're at, or think we're supposed to be, we come out, and I see gate 14. I look at Mike, I said, this ain't us. He goes, well, I don't know where we're going. <laughs> Why, that was a surprise to me. I don't know. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's go back inside. So we go back inside. And so I am not one of those men that's afraid to ask directions. So I stopped at one store. I said, hey, can you tell me how to get out of here? And he got, the guy goes, yeah. He says, go left, go up there, go straight, take a right, then go up, then take a left. And I'm going, okay. So I do a few of those directions. I get to another guy. I go, okay, hey, I'm looking for gate one. Can you tell me where to go? He goes, go left, go straight, go up, go right, then take a left. And, and I'm going, okay, well, I'm trying to do this again. I said, Mike, do you remember what he said? No. Okay, good. Let's just keep going. So we keep walking. So it gets to about five minutes till. I finally stop at the last guy. I go, hey, I'm looking for gate one. He goes, oh, good. He said, go up there, take a left, and then go all the way to the end. So we finally got there exactly right at 4.30. We got out. I'm glad I was willing to ask for directions because I would still be in Turkey today, all right? Many of us will treat God like that. We're so afraid to ask God for his counsel and his direction, and we'll say, I can do this on my own. God doesn't want you to handle anything on your own. God wants to take all of your big and your small. He is the great counselor, the wonderful counselor who can guide in every direction you need in life. If you'll trust him. He also doesn't want us to worry. Philippians 4, 6 is one of my favorite verses for people who like to worry. Simply says this, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of times at this season, worry kind of peeks in. We worry about things that are going on. We worry about how we're going to get this and how we're going to do this and how we're going to make this party and how we're going to, and all these things begin to bottle up within us. And the Bible tells us, don't be anxious for anything. There's absolutely nothing we should worry about. Our wise counselor can guide and direct through every situation. We don't have to fear. In fact, when I look at that verse in Philippians 4, 6, it's taught me something very powerful. And it's simply this. If you're going to pray, don't worry. And if you're going to worry, don't pray. You either turn it over to God and trust that he's going to handle your situation or you keep it in your own hands and, and you keep going through the steps you're going through. But you see, the wonderful counselor that we have can handle every problem and issue you have. That's what makes him so wonderful. You know, he has our best interests at heart as well, right? In 1 John four nineteen, it says, he loved us before we ever loved him. 
I'm going to tell you, that verse right there really speaks to me. We love him because he first loved us. It speaks to me because I don't deserve to be loved by God. I don't deserve for him to look out for my best interests. What I deserve is I deserve exactly what all of mankind deserves, and that is to be separated from God forever. But because he cares for you and me, over 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to be born into a manger, into the most cryptic place you could ever imagine, a place that, that nobody expected, and to a group that nobody could ponder to a people that nobody really celebrated and this was the wonderful counsel of God was to take a baby and place him in a manger in Bethlehem of all places not in the home of a king but in the home of peasants people who sacrifice turtle doves of all things as a part of the cleansing ritual poor family shepherds of all people ones that worked with filthy animals were the ones that came and celebrated his birth and that was the wise counsel of God. Why? Because he wants us to understand that he wasn't just meant to come for priests and prophets and kings, but he came for all mankind. The manger is a beautiful scene of God's love for us, and the perfect image of God's love for us, of course, is done 33 years later on a cross. And I'm reminded of that in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he's our wonderful counselor because his love is incomprehensible. And this Christmas, as we celebrate Christmas, and we think about that babe in a manger, as we look at those nativity scenes, and I'm going to tell you, some of the nativity scenes that we have, they're absolutely beautiful. They're just not accurate. But when I look at the nativity scene, and as you look at the nativity scene, or you go by and you see a live manger scene, and you see all these things that are going on, be reminded that that babe lying in a manger is your wonderful counselor. His birth was miraculous, incomprehensible, and wonderful. He brings direction and purpose and meaning to your life. That's the kind of counselor he is. Without that babe... Your life is hopeless. But that babe lying in a manger is the hope of all mankind. The hope of the entire world. And he is the wonderful counselor. I pray and hope you know him this season. I pray and hope you serve him this season. Because without that babe, your Christmas is absolutely meaningless. You'll go through year after year, unwrapping gifts, going on all these things, doing all of this stuff. But Christmas is about that babe. It's not about the traditions and things that we try to make it into. It is all about that wonderful counselor.